Hello everyone, welcome back to a enormously special episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. What a massive milestone we have hit this week, Janine. Look at it. It's yes. episode 300 of the main show. Over 300 new old movies well whether they're new old movies or old movies we loved anyway basically <laughs> the point is that it is over 300 wonderful old movies celebrated on this show in now over six years of it's a wonderful podcast which is an incredible length of time yes. 300 episodes <laughs> is an incredible amount of episodes. <laughs> I did not quite ever think we'd get so far. But then why didn't I think that? Why didn't I wish that this show would go on and on and on? It makes me enormously proud <laughs> that we've hit this particular milestone because of how this show is to me from when it began started as something I very much needed at that time I needed to delve my energy into something like this celebrating something I love because it brought me a small amount of joy and happiness at what was perhaps not the most joyful and happy time which is why this show will always and forever Hold a dear special place in my heart, even if it goes on for the rest of <laughs> my life, which I'll, I'll be honest with you, I kind of hope in one way or another yes. it does. Yes. I really um, do. There's, yeah. there's, there's two things, if anything, I love doing more than It's a Wonderful Podcast. And to start us off, I mean, hello and welcome back to an episode of It's a Wonderful <laughs> Podcast. Of course, you are... You are not treating yourself fully enough if you are not watching this episode either. It is, of course, on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well. You may already be here watching this episode, this special episode of the main show. But if you are just listening um, wherever you do get your podcasts, of course, the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on all major podcast platforms, then, you know, go on over to it's a wonderful podcast on YouTube as well. Subscribe, ding your notification bells over there or over here if you're already here and get the full benefit of today's milestone special. But yes, yes I will stop prattling on. <laughs> Begin your celebration. Um, yes, I mean, I was not here as a co-host from the very beginning, but I did have a part in the beginnings of the show. I remember when you asked me to design a podcast, uh, a logo for this podcast yes. that you were starting. Uh, and, you know, I fell in love with the title. I thought it was such a fun idea. Obviously, you know, uh, a nod to It's a Wonderful Life. And so I even tried to incorporate that into uh, the design. I remember really scanning that poster on things I could use. And so I tried to replicate uh, the text in, in, in that uh, poster, that original poster where he's lifting up Donna Reed, because um, there are a few different posters. Um, 
and use that font and kind of design the font in that style. So I, I wanted to incorporate that and then the old school microphone. And so I remember having yeah. a lot of fun, uh, you know, you and Dean in top hats. So I really had fun trying to kind of come up with the idea for that logo. And it ended up being one of my favorites that I've created. Uh, and then it was really fun incorporating kind of a uh, avatar of myself into the logo once I became part of the show. So if you see my little display here, it's it's displaying Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because that was my very first appearance on It's a Wonderful Podcast. It was a really fun episode with you, me, and our friend Brandon Hanna talking about yes. this really ridiculous movie that we love. Um, and, and again, as I talked about on our 250 of Morgan Hasn't Seen, my auto quality audio quality was not good the first episode I think I was using headphones because I was just not equipped at that time to be a podcaster but um you made me a podcaster uh and uh, I've loved doing this show I remember really early on um you know I grew up with a handful of classic films that my mom had showed me when we would do movie nights as a kid and so I, you know, shared that tiny little nugget of what I knew about classics with you. And in those early episodes, you actually did quite a few films that I had suggested to you. So I was happy to even be in a small way a part of discovering uh, some classic films that were new to you. Um, but in doing the show myself, I really grew a huge passion for this era of film and have loved all of the films we've discovered and seen over the years. And uh, I love the work that we do here in bringing that to other people and advocating for these films and letting them not be forgotten and just sharing these hidden gems and really reminding people that they would not have cinema and movies that they have today without the groundwork of this era of film. So uh, yeah. I loved doing the show. Um, my first episode uh, where it was just you and me, I believe, was episode somewhere in the 70s i think um well, i don't know the episode uh, <laughs> numbers specifically my first solo episode with you and me was episode 54 so my first ever episode was episode 47 willy wonka you me and brandon hannah my okay. first solo episode where i guessed it just you and me was episode 54 talking bed knobs and broomsticks so oh, i love that that was like my first episode being you know yes. just a, a solo guest host and my first official episode as an official co-host of it's a wonderful podcast was episode 76 talking the haunting <laughs> so oh, interesting interesting yes i do kind of love that uh, that your first solo episode with with just the two of us was Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, a movie that does mean a great deal yeah. to me anyway, and and now has another layer to its meaning to yes. me, given that it was our real first time being co-hosts of this show together. Yeah. But you have mentioned a couple of people there yeah. who deserve a massive mention. Um, at the at the beginning of this, and we'll get into all the celebration <laughs> we have today. Yes, and you know, let's be let's be clear here as well. It is all three based. It is all based around threes. Of course, this is episode three hundred. We love the number three here, Janine. <laughs> why on earth is this whole show based around things coming in threes? 
<laughs> because three is the magic number. Yes. And it's 300. Same. So we had to. We had to. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah. like, sing that <laughs> at the end of every single episode of yes, the show. Of course. Um, but yes, you mentioned some great guest hosts that we've had throughout the years. And so I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate them uh, because they were a part of this show and, and part of, yeah. you know, how we got here. Uh, and so Massive. I just wanted to. Yeah, so I wanted to talk wouldn't about some have of got those through, Wouldn't have got through sometimes <laughs> without these people. And yes, you can include you can include yourself on on this list at the very <laughs> beginning, but definitely, you know, there there was times when Dean wouldn't be able to to do shows for quite a, an extended period of time, and these people helped massively in keeping this show alive it wouldn't get it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near I, I would have likely stopped the show and fallen off yeah you know of doing it had it not been for the for the help support and and wonderful guest co-hostship <laughs> of these people yes and i would like to just also say you know uh, i think we've stepped away from guests not because we don't want guests it's just because you know we've taken on so much we've grown so much in terms of doing more shows and now having a youtube channel and and doing things on other platforms that uh you know our recording schedule is so crazy considering you know yeah. alone our eight hour time difference so it's kind of difficult to get guests just because we record at such weird random times you know because we have other shows now and and other things kind of going on building the channel that it, it's not like how it was back then when this was kind no. of the only show that was or we just had this and Morgan hasn't seen and really you know so it was easier to kind of curate getting a guest on to record and things like that so we would love to one day get back to having guests come on for special episodes of the podcast uh definitely a goal to figure out uh going down the line but um so i just wanted to celebrate this wonderful era of having guest hosts on the show including myself yes. so just yes. to celebrate some really great people who have made their way through the doors of it's a wonderful podcast uh the very first guest on It's a Wonderful Podcast was our good friend Brandon Hanna. He appeared yes, on episode 24 talking the Wolfman. It was you and him doing a great episode. He loves classic monster movies so he was a great guest to have on for that episode and proud to have such a good friend be the very first guest co-host on the show. Uh, second guest host we ever had was another good friend Kimber. Uh, Kimber yeah. Bennis who was Barrett at the time, but now is Bennis, because so much time has passed since we've known these That's wonderful awesome people. <laughs> yes. And that was episode 26, talking the House of Usher. I think you and her have bonded over a love for, you know, classic horror, particularly things with the wonderful Vincent Price. So I've loved seeing you guys kind of have that bond for this era of horror films, for sure. Uh, a very frequent guest host that appeared on the show several times was Rachel Silvestrini. She appeared yeah. on episode 46, Talking Singing in the Rain, episode 48 for The Wizard of Oz, episode 49 for Paint Your Wagon, 
uh, episode 63, The Court Jester, and episode 74, Disney's Cinderella. So she really stepped in and and talked a lot of episodes with you or lots of shows with you. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Rachel, for being a part of the legacy of It's a Wonderful Podcast. (laughs) And I made quite a few guest appearances. As I mentioned, my first was episode 47, Willy Wonka. My first solo episode with you, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, episode 54. And then when I came on to be a frequent guest host that summer that Dean was away, I brought in my own little idea for the show called Deja Vu, where we would take a look at a classic film and then kind of do a comparative conversation about its modern remake. Uh, So it was kind of my way of putting a stamp on the show in terms of bringing what I knew about modern film and what you knew about classic film kind of together. And, you know, I I didn't know at the time that I would end up being an official co-host of this show. But I thought, while I'm here, I want to use my time to kind of add something creative to the show if I can. And you allowed me to really, you know, uh, you know, put my little stamp on it, even if it was going to be for just a short time. So, yeah. Um, Uh, I started the Deja Vu series talking The Lion in Winter. We didn't actually watch the remake, but we, you know, kind of looked into it and talked about it um, in comparison to the original classic film. So that was episode 61. Um, I think it wasn't until The Bishop's Wife, episode 62, where we really had fun looking at uh, that version of the film and compared it to The Preacher's Wife, the modern version. Uh, So this idea kind of ended up coming into full swing although the next week we talked Laura which was for me the first I think film that we discussed that was really showing me what this show does this great discovery of okay films maybe people don't know about a hidden gem type movie because I had no idea you know what this movie was um you know discovering actors that I hadn't really seen in this vein or even actors that were new to me in general. So Laura was the first film for me where it was, it was that bit of discovery that really got me excited about what this show could do uh, in terms of bringing these classic films to, you know, a wider audience. Uh, And then the Deja Vu continues as we talked Sabrina from uh, episode 67, episode 69, Phantom of the Opera, uh, episode 71, The Little Princess, episode 72, the Friedrich March version of uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, episode 73, Born Yesterday, uh, and then we got into uh, episode 74 M that was a great movie oh. uh, 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 to discover for me. Uh, I had heard of it. I knew kind of the, um, the significance of that film. So to finally get to watch it again, just this great moment of discovery for me on the show. And then obviously my first official episode with the haunting, which was also a deja vu. <laughs> and hey. then, We did a great episode, you, me, and Kimber, talking House on Haunted Hill for episode 78. Um, So that was a really fun episode, having the three of us talk about this movie, because this was a movie that you both loved. I obviously am from a specific era, so I was very familiar with the 
like late 90s 2000s remake version of the movie so getting to go back and watch this movie with the two of you who loved it Vincent Price and um, we had a lot of fun on that episode uh, and then just three more guest hosts that we had on the show. Uh, James White, he came on for episode uh, 64, talking double indemnity. So a really great yes, movie uh, that you guys discussed there. Uh, a monstrously significant <laughs> movie that James White managed to uh, Yeah, <laughs> right? On, on the show, yes. I love that. Yeah, he got, he got lucky with how it's a good one. Uh, and then, of course, we had Ashley Davis, episode 66, talking Night of the Living Dead, also getting a really good pick uh, for her oh, episode. Yeah. So thank you, Ashley. We love you. And her husband, Joe Davis, came on episode 68 to talk My Fair Lady. So we've yes. had some great guests talk, some really big, popular classic films for sure. So thank you to our amazing uh, guest hosts who have been a part of the history of this show. Uh, really fun to have you and hopefully we can get back to that era of guests one day but uh this was a great time for the show for sure yes <laughs> and uh, obviously um, an enormous thank you to all of those <laughs> delightful wonderful people but an even bigger thank you really to dean Byrne, the artist formerly yes <laughs> as we like to call him yeah. who with without whom the show wouldn't exist yes yes um he he has since left the show quite a long time ago now yeah but was there at the beginning he's still on the logo he's still yes. there he's on, always on the a part logo. of the show yes right. you started the show with him i remember listening to that very first episode of the show um and loved kind of you guys having this very different mindset different kind of demeanor on the show made for some really interesting conversations and yeah he will always be a part of this podcast and you know we're really proud of everything he's been doing uh you know Boy, killing it with stand-up so proud and excited for him and what he has going on uh but uh yeah just always going to be a part of the show whether he's here or not and you know he, yeah he's taken he's taken leaps and bounds <laughs> since leaving the show so <laughs> yeah we can't say fairer than that but yes, uh, yes. Uh, an even more special enormous thank you to dean burn of course yes. but let's actually get into to the three based discussion <laughs> of today's celebratory episode janine because we actually have five different little segments Yes. to uh, talk about today um each of us has has chosen three defining actors of it's a wonderful podcast three defining actresses of it's a wonderful podcast three defining genres and styles of the show three defining singular movies from It's a Wonderful Podcast history. And we have one rather fun switch up <laughs> of something as well, because as I often like to uh, do is add people to the Mustache Hall of Fame. Janine has actually come up with her three <laughs> defining mustaches. Yes. And as Janine has more frequently these days liked to do herself on episodes of the show and add to her old Hollywood crush list. I've Ooh. come up with my 
three <laughs> defining crushes of the show. So we, we, we've had a bit of a fun little switch up there. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, I think we just get straight on into okay. the Janine, I really do. Now, uh, thanks and celebration over, but not celebration over, because conversation begins. Yes. As we, as we start, I think, with our three <laughs> defining actors. Yes. I have a very interesting way I did this. I'd like to just say I have in front of me a notepad where I went through each and every episode, not listened to, obviously, that would have taken me about eight years, but yes. I, I've, I've been through each and every episode and I have an enormous tally chart in front of me. Oh, I, I thought about doing that, but I was like, this is going to be difficult to like go through everything. But I just kind of went off my memory, went through looking at the episodes and kind of just thought about the actors that made an impact on me. I tried to have a diversity of an actor who is very much who you think of when you think of classic films, an actor who I think is uh, very versatile and just a, an incredible actor. Um, somebody who impressed me and surprised me, which reminds me of what the show does. Somebody that I just was not expecting. Someone I had never heard of that really made an impact. And a great supporting actor, because that's also kind of a discovery for people that that doesn't really get a lot of attention or love when, when thinking about this era of film. Uh, and then I do... I, there were so many that I just also had to throw an honorable mention in there as well. well. There's, so. there's a ridiculous <laughs> amount. And I think this is what's great about when we do special milestone episodes like this yeah. is we each bring our own meanings, our own interpretations to the, to the discussions <laughs> we, we bring forward, like three defining actors of yeah. this show's history. What does defining this show mean to you? It means yeah. something different to you than it might mean to me, which is perhaps yeah. why I've done this ridiculously, uh, ridiculous tally chart. And you've gone off vibes, which is a perfect <laughs> thing doing. I feel like that would usually be what I do. Yes, but yes. I, I, no. I, I tried to do something a bit, a bit different today. Perhaps all of my three choices might not just be based on these stats, though. I, I just... I kind of want to speak a little bit about some of these stats because I find okay. them fascinating. But, okay. but we'll start off with Janine. Who are your three defining okay. actors of It's a Wonderful <laughs> Podcast? Well, my honorable mention was it was very difficult to not add him to the three because he's so great. Um, but my honorable mention is Charles Lawton. Um, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> we did one film of his uh witness for the prosecution and i just absolutely loved his style uh his character his, his sense of co comedy but you know still uh intelligence and competence in this role that we ended up kind of going on this charles lawton run and talked several more of his films where again he showed so much diversity in his characters and and his performances uh and, and then we also did the 
the one film he directed as well, which was just a shame to discover that that was the one and only film he'd made, A Night, a Night of the Hunter. Such a great, thrilling, you know, very much dancing the line of horror, dark film uh, that he made with that. So uh, just a very impressive actor that, you know, was new to me and loved celebrating him um, and and really spoke to what we do on the show, just highlighting actors that uh, people don't really think of. But my list okay. of three. Okay, so no, no, quick, quick, thing okay. About, quick thing okay. about Charles Lawton. Um, how, many, how many Charles Lawton movies, I mean, movies he has appeared in, do you think we have done on the show? Actually, it's also quite interesting that Charles Lawton is the only single person we've ever just decided to do a whole series on based on vibes. <laughs> wow, okay. On, we, we, we loved Charles Lawton in Witness for the Prosecution, so we just decided to keep the train going. We've never, ever done that with anybody else. So absolutely, he yes. deserves that vastly honourable mention, but just a quick guess. You don't have to think um, too long about how many movies. I think, think, including Night of the Hunter that he directed, I would say five. Well, I haven't included that, but okay. Okay, well, well four films. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I'm like Hobson's Choice, job. Witness for the Prosecution, Mutiny on the Bounty, uh, The Big Clock, and then I was thinking of Night of the Hunter. The Old Dark House and Spartacus are the other. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Go plenty more, Charles Lawton, I'm sure, to come on this show. But yes, yes give me quickly your three big ones. Okay. So my three uh, actors that I feel like define what It's a Wonderful Podcast is all about is Victor Mature, George Ooh. Sanders. <laughs> and it was very hard. To pick between this man and the man behind you, Cary Grant. But I went with the father of our channel, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Janine, a stunning choices. Stunning choice. I, I, I particularly appreciate the decision to pick Victor Mature, given that I didn't even bother putting him on my tally list. <laughs> he literally only has one single movie that we talked about on this channel. But... Watching that movie and seeing his performance was such a revelation for me. I absolutely... And this was Kiss of Death, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So just seeing his performance and being like, who is this guy? Why have I not heard of him? Why is he not more widely talked about in this era of film? He was brilliant. And so him just being this great nugget of a discovery for me in terms of this one singular performance just spoke to everything that I love that I discover from the show and what we try to put out to people. Um, you know, because I feel like we are a very specific type of show that not a lot of people do. I think a lot of people talk about movies on their podcasts, but I think we are the one podcast that really gives love to this era and really tries to show people movies that aren't being talked about. And so in seeing this performance just spoke to all of the things that we try to do in the show in, in just the discovery uh, of great actors and films and filmmakers. Uh, and so his performance in Kiss of Death was just such a great surprise and, and excited me in a way that, you know, him in that film really encompassed so much about It's a Wonderful Podcast. So I had to put him on the list. 
I, I love this so much. You're absolutely right, by the way, because you can go and look at other old movie shows. Nobody does what we do like we do. Nobody. Yeah. And this is something I've I've grown to become much more proud of what we do for because there's enough old Hollywood podcasts out there, but absolutely nobody talks with this frequency of enthusiasm about the type <laughs> of movies we talk about. So if you really yeah. want to get into old Hollywood and all of its fun little interesting areas, we're not experts. We never no. pretend to be experts. We are amateur film historians. We are yeah. constantly discovering new areas and constantly celebrating these times in movies, the people that those times gave us, the struggles they went through to get the legacy they have now yeah. at times as well, as well as just the great lives some of them did lead. But I, I love the choice of Victor <laughs> Mature. Um, you've also gone with Jimmy Stewart, who is very close to topping our tally list. Wow. Yes. comes in at joint second place for amount of movies he has okay. start with a starring Jimmy Stewart role. How many do you think that is? Ooh. I'd say... Quick, quick guess. Thir 13? We're on 10 Jimmy okay. Stewart movies. Okay, okay. Starring role. Which, you know, 10, 30, 300 movies, 10, Jimmy, might seem like a small amount, but it, it isn't that's, real. That's a lot. Vastness no, yes. The movies. I, I wanted to pick somebody who encompasses, you know, what I think the average person thinks of when they think of a classic films actor, um, which obviously is a big uh, part of this show. So uh, it was going to be him or Carrie. Uh, for sure, because okay. they are—they have been huge parts of this show. They are kind of the the template of what one thinks of when they think of classic movies and and the classic movie star actor. Um, yeah. He's, you know, his film is the namesake for our show, so that's I think why he maybe won out. But he's also an actor who has shown incredible versatility. He can be uh, a bit of kind of a skeezy dark villain. His one of his films was the very first episode of this podcast as well yes, uh, vertigo was the very first film and i remember listening to that episode as a fan of this show before being a co-host um that i actually watched vertigo for the first time to prepare for listening to that episode so um yeah i mean as before i got really into classic films from this show he was what I thought of when I thought of a classic films actor. Um, so I really wanted to pick somebody who spoke to that, who spoke to kind of the glamour of the era, um, but who also was an incredible actor with a great amount of versatility in their filmography. You know, he's played the down and out guy, the noble, uh, never quitting kind of guy. He's played the kind of deplorable character in something like vertigo um he's played the hero uh he's done several different genres uh he was great at comedy but also just as good at drama um you know his 
early career, it was great seeing him in in the Thin Man movies to play like this early villain. It was such a fun yes. surprise seeing him. So just somebody who encompasses classic films as a whole, who has made a stamp for a reason, who is known by people who know nothing about classic films for a reason. So he's just a staple actor of the genre, of the era uh, of the genres he's done uh and kind of just the father <laughs> of our podcast so <laughs> I, I, I love the choice I really love the choice and the third was yeah. <laughs> uh, and george sanders of course george sanders. <laughs> uh, now, and how so many george sanders movies ooh, do you think? i'd say like i'd say Five. Well, he's the exact same as Lawton. He's six. He's six. six. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I wanted to pick one great supporting actor who, you know, I think you are aware of his magnificent voice. If you didn't know, you know, he was in the Jungle Book. Uh, Shere Khan, great, yes. great voice. Um, and so the first time I saw him, I was watching All About Eve on a plane. And just fell in love with his performance as kind of this shady side character who's kind of manipulating things on the side. He also has this really great androgyny about him. You know, he, he, he has this, yeah, he has sorry, this kind yes, of polish. Yeah. Sorry, for someone that is so deeply masculine in his voice. He he does have a, a, a great androgyny, a great softness a to him, a great ability. Yeah, a feminine kind of quality about him, this air about him, uh, where he's almost kind of a royal in a way, like this, this uh, demeanor that yeah. just is so smooth and slick and can come off, you know, if he does something just right or, you know, changes a cadence or stands a certain way it comes off as uh, a little bit smug a little bit oily or if he pulls it back a certain way it comes off as very sophisticated and noble you know so i mean let's uh, let's, let's say none more so than in the picture of dorian gray when he's incredibly queer coded because he's constantly yes. about how dorian gray looks and how horrible all the women he knows are Yes, and he's very gossipy and all of that. Incredibly um, gossipy. He can also switch that the cadence up to be comedic as well. So uh, he is very quippy and intelligent and smooth and sophisticated and dark and sinister, but light and and airy and, and the androgyny. So a great supporting character actor, uh, very memorable, charming as hell incredible voice who people may not know his face but they know his voice that i've been so proud to really highlight on this uh show and share people with um with them just how great he is uh, as a performer and to not forget his contributions to this era of film so <laughs> yes great choices i I, abso <laughs> I absolutely love it neither well i all three of them were not in my choices either, which I think is very, okay. very interesting. However, all three of my choices are actually, now there's enough other people I do want to bring up, but all three of my choices happen to have the most movies out of anybody. Oh, oh, male okay. or 
So yours was a popularity contest. It's a popularity contest, but I think (laughs) surely that means these people define It's a Wonderful Podcast. They've appeared the most. You expect to see these three people. Makes sense, yeah. At the highest percentage when you come to It's a Wonderful Podcast, when you think about It's a Wonderful Podcast. There's people that I want to mention that we haven't, who I feel really, really deserve a mention because they come so very close in my heart as people I I, I love as performers, Mm -hmm. but also in amount of times they've appeared on the show. And for some (laughs) reason, I'm just obsessed with this idea at the minute. Burt Lancaster, obviously quite a a recent one. A very interesting stat about Burt Lancaster, actually, was that it took 165 episodes for Burt Lancaster to appear on the show. And his second appearance was in episode 207. Oh my gosh, it was that long. (laughs) He's he's on eight movies already. Wow. So he very much had a lot in the songs that after seeing him once, we wanted more. Yeah, it it shows you that we've got a real, real frequency for Burt Lancaster in in later years, which I think is pretty obvious, but we definitely have. He deserves to be mentioned. Obviously, we we love him. Glenn Ford on seven movies is somebody you wouldn't necessarily think we've done seven movies of, but we have, and he's just wonderful. George Sanders is there. Gregory Peck, you might not think, has, you know... You might think has had more movies than he's had on the show. He's only at five, but seems like such a staple, such a big yeah. part of defining what we love to talk about yes. on It's a Wonderful Podcast. I nearly went with Kirk Douglas on nine, yeah. nine yes. movies of Kirk Douglas's. I nearly went with Bogart also on eight okay. movies Wow. Like I said before, Jimmy Stewart is on 10. It took me horrible levels of deciding to not go with Spencer Tracy. Yes, he he came up in my thoughts as well. Oh, wow. 10 movies with Spencer Tracy. And I just, I couldn't put him there because the three people that define, or the three men, the three actors that define It's a Wonderful Podcast to me, it just makes sense that they are. The man behind me, Cary Grant, (laughs) on 11 movies. Sidney Poitier, also. Of course, yes, I struggled. I struggled. I Part of me thought that you would put these two, and that's why I didn't pick them. Yes. (laughs) Sidney Poitier, also on 11 movies. And Vincent Price. Of course, Vincent Price. Yes. Who's also on 11 movies. Are you kidding me? Wow. There's nobody, nobody, male or female, who takes the top spot. These three are the most frequent. Okay. I love that. I love that mix as well. Look, as 
as far as Vincent Price goes, the early days of It's a Wonderful Podcast was all about Vincent. Dominated by Vincent <laughs> Price. Yeah. Happens to be because I absolutely adore Vincent Price. I think he's just wonderful. I never tire talking about Vincent Price. He is a an era of horror within himself Ooh. that I always urge anybody to go and watch nobody has ever had any more fun within that genre than vincent price had mm -hmm. and nobody quite brings that level of total captivating theatricality yes. to his performances than he does in horror but let's not forget his noir career as well his career in in laura yeah. in uh, while the city sleeps and other such movies like that, two of which uh, those two we have covered on the show. But he occasionally shows up in these supporting roles outside of horror, and that's what have been more interesting for me yes. to get in price on this show um, in, in those areas, really. But I had to put, I had to put him on there. I just adore him immensely. Cary Grant, mm -hmm. Cary Grant, very similar to your argument for Jimmy Stewart. He <laughs> is just the absolute, he is the definitive old Hollywood yes. star anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it just happened to be that he statistically yeah. our <laughs> definitive old Hollywood star. The, the varied movies he's had as well over the course of this show from the couple of, of early May West sex comedies yeah. in pre-old time to all the way through some dark Hitchcock movies, Notorious, of course, and, and things like that. Some silly Recently, comedies like Mr. Blanding's silly. Builds His Dream Home. Exactly. Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, <laughs> Arsenic and Old Lace, Bringing yes. Up Baby was the second ever episode of the show, yeah. to more recently with Penny Serenade. Penny Serenade, seeing a really dramatic, dramatic turn. Yeah. But also in slightly later years, you've got Charade that we've covered. Mm -hmm. in, the show encompasses Cary Grant's full career 30 plus years of Cary Grant's yeah. career and I love I love that we've done so much yet there's still so much there <laughs> to do yeah him. there's yeah. a reason there's a big picture of him behind me <laughs> um and Sidney Poitier I mean what what don't we always say about Sidney Poitier he is the one person who has a in remembrance episode dedicated yes. to him yes right after the week after he passed. passed away yeah. we felt it important to do that not only is he a staggeringly important figure in the history of of movies and his race on screen yeah you know you, you can't get much more trailblazing than somebody like Sidney Poitier there's a reason we always come back to him because he as well, as we very recently talked about in A Raisin in the Sun, 
also low key has so much variety In to his range, performances. Yes, yeah. So much range. We we often think of him as very assured, very astute, very dignified. Yes. Think of 1967, as I always like to call him, with with guess who's coming to dinner, heat of the night, and to sir with love. But going to those earlier movies, some of the 50s movies, the Blood no Ball way Jungle, out, no way outs. The, the defiant ones and Raising in the Sun as well, only a couple of weeks ago, shows the edge to Poitier, shows yeah. the the dynamism to Poitier, the willingness to be athletic, the willingness to be yeah. a bit nasty. Yeah. That's very, very important for him yeah, to I mean... be able to portray as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, I as I talked about, I only had a handful of classic films in my repertoire of films. And so the fact that one of those was a Sidney Poitier film that I grew up watching to serve with love as somebody who was always finding myself needing to see diversity as a kid falling in love with movies and his being one of the first classic films I ever saw and me getting to recommend that to the show before I was even a part of it um, was super special for me. And so he has been an iconic figure uh, in, in discovering, you know, his vast range as an actor and his impact um, throughout this show has been such a special thing. So it was very difficult to not have Sydney, but I felt like you were going to have Sydney and Carrie on your list for sure okay. that I okay. was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to be able to talk about them because I feel like Morgan's going to have them. So I think I can, I'm safe to go a different way. Um, but yes, I love that he's the only actor who we've done a special kind of memorial uh, series for on the show. And yes, he is definitely an icon of this channel. hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, one, one last little honourable mention, of course. Robert Mitchum on five movies. Okay, who, yes. I, I, I always want to do more of because mm -hmm. I think I think I didn't feel comfortable putting him in my list ahead of some of the much more frequent yes. um, men that we've covered. But honourable mention. Move on from the men. Away with the men. No more men. We don't like <laughs> men anymore. Yes. For three defining actresses, Janine, these the women's time to shine. Yes. There's been plenty of great women <clears throat> show up quite a lot yeah. on It's a Wonderful Podcast. Admittedly, as the tally chart says, not as frequently as some as the star men. Not yeah. as frequently. And there is one woman who towers above all other uh, women on its okay. wonderful podcast history. Yes, there I is. think I could, I could guess, but... Um, so I do have an honorable mention here as well, and that woman is Elsa Lanchester. Um, <laughs> I yes. mean, the only thing I had ever known her as was the uh, rejected nanny from Mary Poppins. So... And so I had seen her kind of a little bit more aged. And so having kind of realizing that she was the bride of Frankenstein, I was like, that's the same person. That she is this like iconic figure in movie history. And I just like wrote her off as the rejected nanny from Mary Poppins. And then we watched her in things in great supporting roles, like in The Bishop's Wife, just being this great comic relief there. And then, of course, in my favorite role of hers in um, Witness for the Prosecution, her just 
you know, going back and forth with Charles Lawton and knowing their, you know, real life uh, relationship as a, a couple and really seeing the sparks and dynamic and how they related to each other and how they work together. And despite it being a supporting role, her just being such a shining a point and stealing every scene uh she was just so amazing so incredible so fun to watch uh making so many great intelligent choices in terms of, of a, a great comedic performance and uh just wanted to give her some love there um again just highlighting a great supporting actor that doesn't really get the recognition which is a part of what this show does so 100% Elsa <laughs> Lanchester needs to be in here. Elsa Lanchester, I'd just like to say now, is one of my defining actresses. Oh, okay. She absolutely is. For many of those reasons you've just said, and not only do I love her um, playing against Lawton in Witness for the Prosecution, but it might even be as good in the big clock as well. And it's yes. only for like one scene. But right? she's completely so unhinged in the big clock. And yeah. so is Lawton, but on the total opposite. Different side, yeah. yeah. And I mean, them as a as a couple, they're a fascinating couple to, to read up on because Lawton was, of course, gay. Okay, yeah. all a a... A marriage of, of them being nice to each other, not a marriage of convenience, just support and like you know, they beer. And I think she was also gay herself, was she? Not? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. So, or, or, yeah, or bisexual. So okay. the stories yeah. will will tell you, but they they were very fond of each other. They got on like a house on fire. They got on really, yeah. really well with each other. Um, it just wasn't a a, a marriage as we think of. People falling yeah. in love with each other today, um, but they they are incredible opposite each other. There's a very interesting stat that I had in my tallies, okay. um, which the the big clock was both Charles Lawton and Elsa Lanchester's fifth movie covered on It's a Wonderful. Wow. Podcast. Okay. Elsa Lanchester's on six movies covered. Wow. On It's a Wonderful Podcast. She's equal to her husband <laughs> and is one of my defining women, defining actresses of the show. Absolutely. She is a constant delight whenever yeah. she shows up. She is able to be utterly crazy. She's not afraid to show herself to be utterly crazy, like a weird, strange cat lady or something like that, <laughs> yet also totally, ethereally, otherworldly beautiful. Yes. As something like The Bride of Frankenstein that, yes, only shows up for five minutes at the end of The Bride of Frankenstein. It's so it's iconic. Yeah. Phenomenally iconic. I love that she's one of your honourable mentions because she is yes. one of my defining actresses. But who are your three? So for my criteria, I wanted to pick somebody who I knew to have incredible range, who was just a very talented actress who could transform into different roles and really be believable in, in those transformations. I wanted to pick somebody who spoke to the glamour of the era, um, someone, but also somebody, again, who was not as, you know, maybe well-known Um but spoke to kind of the the sex appeal and the the you know 
the the fancy nature of of what people think of old Hollywood glamour. Yeah, the elegance, but someone, yes, who I mean, maybe not the average person would think of. Uh, and then a, a, another She's great intriguing. supporting, another great supporting actor, who I think maybe gained fame later in their careers that were known. Later I hope we have the same years. person. I hope we have the same person. But people really excited. need to discover them early in their careers because they were brilliant. Uh, okay, so my on, choices. Please, please tell me we've got <laughs> one of the same people here. My choices are Barbara Stanwyck, Gloria Graham, and Angela Lansbury. <laughs> yes, Angela. Come on, Angela Lansbury. She's in my yes. list as well. Of yes. course she is. Why shouldn't she be? Yes. I, can I just say as well, I love, 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 love the fact you put Gloria Graham in. I was so yeah. close to putting Gloria I Graham in. I was thinking, you know, Gloria Graham. I was thinking. She's hardly woman... ever shown up. Yeah, so I I just, the woman behind you, you know, uh, yes. Catherine Hepburn was, was was in my head. Um, just I'll so say many... now she's my third choice as well. <laughs> of We've course, of course she is. Now. Of course she is. Um, you know, uh, Donna Reed, uh, Marilyn. Donna. Uh, I loved the conversation we had about Marilyn's intelligence in kind of playing up the comedy or the you know the sexual kind of ditziness of a character. But there's so much intelligence in how she does that, um, and people didn't really you know pay attention to that. So you know, I thought about Marilyn's character actresses that really spoke to you know the glamour of the era. Um, even Mae West kind of came up in my head as well, Marlena Dietrich. Uh, but I went with Gloria Graham because she is an actress who, uh, again, appeared in our namesake movie. Uh, you know, she did. She did. So playing a character that spoke to that glamorous uh, a side of of old Hollywood, uh, but also showing great range and and popping in really in these smaller roles and making such a great impact. I mean, she won an Oscar for, I think, what, nine minutes of screen time? Um, yeah, something like that for Bad and the Beautiful. Yes. And so uh, just kind of in going through the films that we covered on this show, she was just such a standout in her little bursts uh, of, 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 of performances and just really glamorous and charming and, you know, uh, such a great seductress, but also a lot of thought, you know, she, she, uh, kind of would play very much like, you know, in, in the big heat, the kind of, uh, you know, shy, like, Oh, you don't want me kind of thing and coy, um, and charming. So she just had a lot of uh, ability to portray that glamour uh, in, in a really uh, intelligent way and in a really endearing way, um, in a mysterious way at times. So really enjoyed, uh, you know, thinking about the movies that we've seen her in and her speaking to the glamour of the era, for sure. So... I, I always say nobody plays the mix, and I mean the, the perfectly blended mix of total sultriness and vulnerability like, and yes and vulnerability yes. like gloria yeah. graham does nobody plays it with such a perfect mix that yes. she does 100 uh, she's never better basically what i was trying to say that you kind of yeah. put into <laughs> she's never better than in in a lonely place i think yes i, I mean she's great in yeah. everything i've ever seen her in but particularly in an in a lonely place, which we did 
do as a show as well as the big heat mm-hmm. and the bad and the beautiful those are the yes. three mm-hmm. yes three gloria graham movies no more what's going on why don't we have any more <laughs> gloria do. graham movies what's why why yes it's strange i love 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 that you've chosen her yes i mean uh and then you know obviously a film we have not covered on the show but our namesake like just i could that gif is on a loop in my head of her you know just flipping her hair and walking by and just she's in yes, the movie just gorgeous. Like <laughs> but you remember her she's so just cute in that movie um so yes i definitely wanted to pick her to embody that aspect of classic films for sure uh and then yes kind of going back to angela lansbury uh somebody who people know you know as mrs potts or you know murder she wrote uh later in her career uh and forget that she was such an amazing classics actress gorgeous you know and, and that she played a lot of dark characters that you you know didn't really yeah. expect like i just go straight to gaslight and her her character in that film uh being kind of this you know part of the manipulation of this woman and just uh being so cold and and harsh and um that's and, not and, even the worst one <laughs> i know uh so just the fact that like we see her as this sweet old lady but going back to her early career and seeing just how dynamic she was and how dark she could be and uh, villainous and you know state of the union she's this uh you know yeah. kind of boss lady really taking control That's and, not even and the kind worst of manipulating <laughs> And, uh, but then, you know, she kind of reigns that in, in the portrait of Dorian Gray as just this lovelorn woman who, uh, you know, is heartbroken. And, uh, you know, I, I loved her in that role as well, just being very kind of earnest and, and sad and, um, you know, this woman in love and hurting and, uh, just, it was, it was a great kind of rediscovery of somebody who's so well known to see her in this early vein and to see the darkness in her that like I just was not expecting so just a great supporting actress in, in her own right that people just don't think about that side of her career she's she's incredible but you still haven't mentioned the worst <laughs> one which is the Manchurian candidate yes literally yes. just the picture of evil evil yes. movie yeah she's we did a deja vu episode on that yeah. yeah she's absolutely despicable how did did the that woman turn in to Miss Price from Bedknobs and Broomsticks right. and Miss Potts and Jessica Fletcher? How did she turn into what she turned into? But she did. She's phenomenal. She's always been a massive part yeah. of my movie watching life, thanks to Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And I'm so yeah. glad that she's become a a reasonably frequent part although it seems like it's been a, a little while a little since we've seen her yeah her yes um of the it, of this show she has six movies as well okay. same as elsa lanchester Good. by the yes. way um and, and again as your other pick and the same as your other pick they're all on six. Oh, okay and, and yeah, I just love that she was my first solo episode with you on the podcast with Ben Nelson yes, Sticks yes. as well. So just iconic in that aspect as well. And of course, my final pick, Miss Barbara Stanwyck. Um, the versatility this woman has shown um, in, in, in her work. I mean, 
we talked about doing that episode with James White talking double indemnity and her in that film. And then we switched to something we covered during the Christmas season, Remember the Night, where she's also with Fred McMurray again. And just the dynamic is completely different. She's like, you know, she has a dark past, but she's sweet and lovable and and just wanting to be a better person and and completely different character. And then we see her, uh, you know, giving us this Gene Arthur-esque performance in a Capra film with Meet John Doe and being, uh, yes. you know, uh, somebody kind of in a man's world and trying to to help somebody out and, and uh, uh, you know having this hopeful determination for for our lead down on his luck character and being this great support to the lead and um and then we see her in something uh like sorry wrong number a recent film we we did on the podcast where she's just kind of going having this descent into madness and she's being this cold woman who we ultimately you know are, are wrapped up in the stress that she's that she's dealing with and so just the range on her she is an incredible incredible actress uh just showing she embodies every single character she's in and you feel something different for her with every character it's believable it doesn't feel like she's yeah. putting on uh, uh you know a false cover it does, she she cannot be pigeonholed into one type of acting um so just the range on her she's just i think the most talented and versatile actress one of that we've had on the channel I, um, I, in the frequency I, I, that we've seen her, she's different every time, and she's doing something amazing every time, and she's powerful and interesting and, and so strong every single time. So, as far as as far as actually like strikingly talented performers go, she she might be right up there. I mean, she might be number one for old Hollywood actresses. Yeah. Maybe Betty Davis. Yes, uh, the, that argument that argument definitely can be made because there's a real variety to Betty Davis, and Betty Davis makes five appearances on the show, only Ooh. one less okay. than Miss Stanwyck. I'd like to to also mention Christmas in Connecticut, one of my favorite old Hollywood Christmas movies, where Barbara Stanwyck is just totally silly it's a very silly movie she's manic she's crazy <laughs> it's the most delightful rom-com possible mm. and to go from that in 1945 <clears throat> double indemnity in 44 something like meet john doe in 41 and then sorry wrong number in 48 is ridiculous yes the range is, is just insane on her and she she hits it every single time I love that. I love that. We, we've, we've mentioned my three, two of my three being, of course, Elsa Lanchester and Angela Lansbury. The third being the lady behind me, yes. Miss Catherine <laughs> Hepburn. But the, there are those other honourable mentions we, we must make. I mean, Betty Davis has to be yes. mentioned just again for pure quality and variety of performances, Ingrid Bergman has mm -hmm. to be mentioned. Yes, the emotion of performances, maybe not quite the range. No, which yeah, but absolute ball your eyes out emotion at times. Yeah, she's, she's so good at that. And Loki Shelley Winters. Yeah. Low like uh, just a little bit a little bit of shelly winters i enjoy when shelly winters comes up i'm absolutely disgusted 
that we haven't mentioned Miss Audrey Hepburn yet <laughs> either, who for a long time in my tally of actresses was actually very level with her surname sake. Catherine. Uh, yeah. Um, very, very, very level. I've got stats again that I'd like to bring up. Um, Audrey Hepburn beat Catherine Hepburn to five appearances on this show. Oh, after 176 episodes. Dang, that took us that long to talk about I, that woman. I, no, no, that was her fifth. That was her oh, fifth. okay, that was her fifth appearance after okay. 100. Oh, okay, on episodes, that's when on she beat her. 176. That's when she beat. Okay. That that was the that was the fifth, um, which I, th I found very 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 interesting. I do have a couple more stats, but we'll 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 finish off talking about um, the Hepburns, I suppose, because <laughs> Audrey's phenomenal. Yeah, Again, she's in my favorite classic such... movie in Roman Holiday. Absolutely. Yeah, she's yeah. such a infectious presence. Mm -hmm. I think. On screen, she's always so delightful and pleasant, and I really, really do enjoy her. She she brings a regality to situations, yes, even 100%. when she is playing Eliza Doolittle. She still somehow brings a poise to mm -hmm. the 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 world, and yes. I really like her for that a great deal. But nobody beats Catherine. Nobody will ever beat Catherine Hepburn in my eyes for enjoyability and a an actress I just absolutely fall for every single time. Yes, just such a distinct style. Toward, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm driven towards her her complete ballsiness to do whatever the hell she wanted to do yes. all the time. Confidence, hundred percent confidence, the, the, always. Yes. The unashamed confidence, the utter stubbornness of her, mm -hmm. yet the striking performance range she has as well. There are very few sillier performances than her in Bringing Up Baby. And she's able to do that whilst doing what she did 30 years later in The Lion in Winter. Yes. Is that the same person? Is that really the same person? Yes, it is. Guess who's coming to dinner? And all the other Tracy and Hepburn movies. Yeah. Their chemistry. The where they are sure. just, yes, they are, they are electric together. They are phenomenal together. I, I adore the dynamic of those rom-coms and it. it doesn't work if... It doesn't work if Spencer's not there. No. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why Spencer, you know, nearly makes your nearly makes your actors list. Yeah. But Catherine's just she's on another level. They're both yeah. great, those two, as the uh long standing quote unquote couple. couple. <laughs> yeah. But there's nobody better. There's nobody better. And there's also no woman more frequent. On its oh, wonderful hey, podcast, Catherine Hepburn yeah. with eight appearances. Oh goodness! Okay, not a surprise there. there. Go. Let's do our fun one now. Let's do okay. our fun one. I want to do our fun one because I don't. Okay. I don't think it will require much uh, 
in-depth explanation. No, no. I, I, I like this. Janine, I would like to uh, to ask you what your defining moustaches are. <laughs> so, funnily enough, I do have an honorable mention here as well. Um, so, yes, the, the switch up on this, I think, is really funny, as Mustache Hall of Fame is your frequent list that you make on episodes where we do have a mustache featured in the episode. Um, and my thing in most recent times has been the uh, classic actor's crush list. So, you know, what do these actors do? to become a crush for me um and so you've, you you're doing that so yes i was thinking about the mustaches we've seen uh you know tyrone power kind of was a thought Ooh. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> uh but my honorable mention is david niven in separate tables very nice I actually went back and listened to that episode recently, and we took a little decent amount of time talking about how much we liked that mustache. Uh, so I had I had to mention it. Um, and okay. he's, he's very well known for a good mustache, so honorable mention there. Uh, okay, but my fair. three mustache picks are Gregory Peck in The Gunfighter, William Powell in The Thin Man, and just because I think it's funny to have a fake mustache on this list, Alan Arkin. <laughs> Wait until yes. dark. <laughs> okay. For the disguise mustache. Yes. I like it. I'm surprised you didn't go for Judy Holiday in Adam's rib. As I thought about that. She turns into a man in the courtroom. Yeah. That was also an honorable mention for me as well. It was it was in my rotation of thought, but um, I, I was like, only one, only one kind of ridiculous one. But yes, okay. I mean, the the controversy that Gregory Peck's mustache, you know, put into motion in terms of uh, the filmmakers not wanting him, I think was what a producer who didn't want him to have it and was kind of talking about the failure of the movie because he had the, was going to fail because he had this mustache and all of this kind of yeah, drama. <laughs> if, 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 if I'm remembering right, it was, it was, was it Zanuck? Zanuck Selznick or Harry Cohn. It's one of the three of them. They're always yeah. causing trouble as producers. Yes. And and Peck refused to, to get rid of his mustache. So, um, and you would not expect him to look so damn good with the mustache. But man, if he does not look so damn good with the mustache, um, I think you can know who's number one on my crush list. Uh, <laughs> but He's talking yes. about your crush list. I know, I know, mine. I know. Uh, but yes, definitely my number one mustache, just because I would not have expected it to look as good as it does. And it works. It works for the character he's playing in this Western. Um, it it uh, helps kind of distinguish him from, you know, other roles we've seen him in, uh, other performances that he's done. It really nestles him nicely into the Western world, just even having that on his face. And it looks really good. So great. Uh, William Powell you know, iconic for having a mustache. So he definitely has the the mustache that fits his face the best because it's just was part of his normal look as an actor. And and so to kind of discover him for me in the Thin Man movies, uh, I, I just loved his look. He, he felt just so dapper and sophisticated and a little bit silly. And the mustache kind of played into that in his look. So he wears a mustache yeah. incredibly well. Uh, perfect 30s mustache. <laughs> yes. 
and then wait until dark seeing Alan Arkin be a villain uh and you know one of his more convincing actually impressive looking disguises was him all with gray hair and and this kind of big bushy mustache uh and uh the fact that he's even wearing a disguise to trick a blind woman is just uh, is silly in general but it actually was pretty convincing looking and i think just funny to see him you know see that character do all these kinds of silly things in this very dark role uh, and you've it worked, just, so. You've just chosen Alan Arkin because you wanted to talk about Alan Arkin in Wait Until Dark. You don't care about his mustache. I liked his mustache. I thought it was very convincing for a fake mustache. And uh, yeah, I looked at pictures of it just to kind of remind myself. And yeah, I think it okay. looked pretty good okay. for a disguise. Like, because he actually looks kind of different than, you know, and, and you'd think disguises, you know, back then were not probably well done. Um, and he didn't even go glasses and a mustache, but <laughs> exactly. But and a big looked, nose. But looked very fake. But his big nose combination wig, all of that looked pretty convincing. So, uh, yes. <laughs> well, yes. I'll just say I'm glad that you actually chose what is still the best mustache in the Mustache Hall of Fame, which is Gregory Peck's in the Gunfighter. Absolutely, yes. it yes. is. You are quite right there. Well, let's move on from your defining <laughs> moustaches Janine to my defining crushes thing let's let's discuss what Morgan finds attractive in women yay yes. let's spend ages on this <laughs> let's not spend any time on this whatsoever and just think what you'll think about this okay because I I have three one of them's very specific they're, they're all very specific okay Okay. They're all very, very specific. They're all in particular. No, one of them's in. Two of them are in particular movies. One of them is just, just this person whenever this happens. Okay. So, uh, which is a bit like strange. That's my caveat one. <laughs> let's let's leave that till the end. Number one. Well, it's not tiered, but you know what I mean. My, fir my first one I'll talk about um, is Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday. And this is purely down to the her, her, her attitude in Roman yes. Holiday. She's so I, cute. The, She's so the, cute. <laughs> the cuteness, the, the fun, franticness, the free-spiritedness, the ability to not care who she's supposed to be when yeah. she just wants to run around and dance around and have a load of fun yeah, while still being the very prim, proper, regal person that Audrey yeah. Hepburn obviously is. I think I just appreciate that in, in, in women. I appreciate that in that. That is what I am attracted to. I okay. think someone who is like able that. to be prim and proper knows they're prim and proper, but ultimately doesn't care about that when they just want to have fun and then they just go all out and act crazy and it's a complete ball of a time i i, I love it okay i like that <laughs> you know it's it's one of my favorite old hollywood yes, movies as well for 100%. a reason yeah. and it, it does house both of our maybe number yeah. one old hollywood crushes yes, gregory peck 100 percent crush generally but in that movie Oh, yeah, it, again, same. Audrey, Audrey Hepburn, a beautiful woman. 
stunningly physically attractive woman just incredibly captivating but in, in roman holiday there's another level to it yeah that just yes. is second is is okay you might call me basic for this but then i'll explain it so this okay. is marilyn monroe but in particular marilyn monroe yeah. when she's wearing the glasses in how to marry a millionaire yes oh she's so pretty and so cute and the fact that she as that character is embarrassed to wear the glasses but she looks so beautiful so i love when another character tells her you look amazing in these glasses. What are you yeah. talking about? So, <laughs> not not normal Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Like normal Marilyn Monroe is like okay, there is an objectively very attractive person. Yes, but it's specifically Marilyn Monroe when she's got the glasses on in <laughs> How to Marry a Millionaire as yeah. that character. Yeah. When she's on this other wave of intelligence, I almost put Judy Holiday in Born Yesterday in yes. for the same reason. When there's, you, you can call it ditzy, but it's not because it's just a different type of intelligence. Way of there's, thinking, there's yeah. Different way, different type of way of thinking. She's not stupid, which is a a phenomenal misconception about yes. I think both of those characters, mm -hmm. but. Marilyn in in How to Marry a Millionaire is completely funny. It showed me again that she as a as an actress was willing to be comedically stupid. And I appreciate that again. Yes. And in, I said she played someone. it with so much intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> she did. And yeah, and that very interesting way of thinking that she does have. But oh my God, do these glasses just light up her face yes. even yeah. more i think yeah. she's beautiful in the glasses yes specifically in the glasses so there's marilyn in the glasses as well and um this is my little caveat one but it's gloria graham's dimples oh Okay. when she smiles because she has a really cute smile and i just really she like does that. i'm telling you that image of her just flipping her hair and walking she, she, by it, it, it's, like, it is so good <laughs> maybe i have maybe it's this it's the 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 cute side of old hollywood actresses that i appreciate more i don't think that's the case in modern actresses to be honest i i think i'm more into kind of i don't know that that's that's the wrong way of phrasing it what i was going to say then <laughs> um not necessarily cute but quite i suppose you could say powerful in, in terms of a powerful personality yeah. of a modern actress um i think i prefer that in my modern actresses more but i think in big probably because all the I, i've got an inherent you know version of, of of the supposedly powerful women in old hollywood ultimately being femme fatale so so they, they yeah. kill me in the end you know what Very i mean it's, it's that kind Very of <laughs> Or there's, or there's Marlena Dietrich in the suit in Morocco, oh, in the suit yeah. and the top hat, which I don't usually find Marlena. I love Marlena Dietrich, but I don't usually find her very attractive. However, in that scene, in I'm that like, scene, okay, yes. you're going for something here, and I appreciate mm -hmm. this. Go yeah. for it. But yeah, Gloria Graham's dimples. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, I like it's, it. It's my other one. The pics for sure. There we Gorgeous go. ladies. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Moving on, of course, to three defining genres 
or styles of It's okay. a Wonderful Podcast. Many have existed in yeah. the show's history. Um, you could say one more than the rest, but maybe that's just a recency thing. <laughs> I think it yes. probably is just a recency thing. Janine, what have we gone for for three defining genres um, or styles? How have we interpreted okay. this particular segment? Well, my honourable mention would be horror as a genre that we've okay. discussed okay. on the show just because i think classic horror obviously differs from modern horror because it's more about the ambiance and the vibes and, and the tone that it sets and how you know the the world looks uh and that's where you kind of get your uh kind of creepy energy from um so it, it it's more kind of the quality of it the the uh style kind of uh really really being the focus over more modern horror films so i love that classic horror films love to set up a good spooky vibe for you um you know i think yeah. i saw that a lot when we did uh a lot of those haunting movies and you know uh the haunting of hill house and um even when we talked uh you know uh, the vampire movies we did, it was all kind of about the vibes. So I love classic horror being able to kind of set the vibes for my well, genre. Well, yes, similarly, I, I've put, I've kind of specified it a little bit more there and just and put gothic horror. Yes, yes, 100%. Because echoing, echoing exactly what you said, because it's, it's very aesthetic based, it's yes. very shadowy, it, it's very you know silhouettes and creeping and, and yeah <laughs> universal <laughs> monsters yeah the, the 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 aesthetic of the universal monsters of which we've covered all major universal monsters movie or yeah. all first universal monsters movies on this show the first one of each of them and a great deal of vincent price movies as well of course yes. a heavily gothic horror this heightened aesthetic um and and personal kind of melodrama that you get with the gothic as an idea is yeah. so so prevalent in the horror movies we, we've primarily covered on on the show they they do focus on personal psyche in these overwhelming larger than life yeah. locations and supernatural situations yeah. and but occasionally um person to person kind of evilness rather yes. than over over the top and that's very yeah very intimate control. very much about the the tone and the feeling yeah. that it gives you um so we're my on, three on the same line there i like that yes so my three genre slash styles that I think embody what we talk about on this show uh, are noirs, particularly melodrama noirs, okay, um, yes. romance films, particularly screwball comedies, and okay. didn't really have a specific subgenre for this, but a genre that I think we've really been kind of gearing up doing a little bit more of, and that is Westerns. Um, okay. Okay. I like this. Yes. Because so I, I, I do have... I do have a, a westerns on mine as well. We're, we're hitting similar things. Yeah. Here. Um. So but I mean, I, in terms my, of western, my three, my three being gothic horror. Yeah. Um. I've, I've I've wrote I've written down nastier American westerns. <laughs> okay. And slash revisionist, um, because there's a particular distinction that we'll talk okay. about now. 
And okay. I've I've also I've also written down pre-code movies as a oh, style. I thought about that. I thought about that because I always talk about how much I love the modernity, uh, the modern feeling of um, uh, pre-code films and how couples and storylines feel like something you would see today that you that people don't really think they are going to see in classic films because they don't really know about the code system and like 30s movies really kind of got a little gritty and risque and people don't think about That's that. Yes. Um, they just think of kind of the 40s and the 50s and kind of, you know, these kind of more clean films that kind of danced around issues. So um, I thought about Pre-Code for sure because I loved the, how modern those movies feel. But um, just in kind of melodrama, I am very much a soapy kind of girl. Like I grew up watching, you know, teen dramas and things like that and fell in love with just these messy stories so i love noir films the darkness the kind of thriller aspects of those films and and the grayness of the characters but the melodramatic ones where you know there's this descent into madness or this big twist revealed or um just you know have a, an ambiguous ending that it's not perfect um you know it's not tied up in a nice little bow uh just kind of the 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 complexity of the melodramatic version of a noir, I think, is just really fun and gritty and nasty, as you say. Um, so I, I I love kind of the the uh, twists and turns that a melodramatic uh, noir gives, yeah. and we've been talking more and more of those recently. So we have. You might be surprised that I've not put some form of noir. Well, I know I was very because I was absolutely convinced you would, so it wouldn't matter. Anyway. Yes, because so every time I suggest movies, it's always some thriller noir thing, and you're like, "We talk. We have to. We have to, we have to branch out a little bit more." And I'm like, but "I we know, love but noir. the, I but love the plot noir. of this movie sounds so juicy. Like that's kind of they regular all, conversations we have." Yeah. And they always are, and I, and I love that you've specified it as as noir melodramas and these personal noirs rather than the kind of system noirs. I think there's a real distinction yes. between noirs that view institutions as evil and noirs that view just other people as evil and doing yeah. doing evil things to yeah. each other. I think there's quite a distinction in those two areas between say a fritz lang noir and a robert siodmak noir because yeah. i think robert siodmak really likes to get he's a he's a much more artistic director i think than, than lang is lang's a technical director he's a very he can be by the numbers he can be very ex okay he can be yeah. experimental and try new things be very very influential and innovative in his career i mean outstandingly so but the the his noirs are very very um organizations are evil when i'm thinking yeah. about it even something like the big heat and it's mm -hmm. it's able to get nasty he's able yeah. to get really really nasty and go really very far but robert siodmak turns on the melodrama turns on a bit of the soapiness turns on yeah, the, the grayness of people turning, you know. flashbacks <laughs> dark shadows everywhere yeah ridiculous aesthetics <laughs> ludicrous chiaroscuro lighting all over yeah. the place and these 
people that are just horrible for each other yeah continuing on with each other because they just have to and does it result in great things no and that's perfect noir melodrama and we cover a lot of them on the show we do yes yes so definitely that kind of subgenre of that genre is really fun for me to do on the show um romance films of course but screwball yes. comedies i think is the genre i i personally end up finding myself talking about the most that really showcases uh a genre that really laid the groundwork for rom-coms that we have today it really speaks to the history of a very popular genre now uh, particularly kind of coming up in the 90s and, and you know uh, the early 2000s uh being this boom of rom-coms but uh just reminding people that it started with great things like it happened one night and just this great dynamic between male and female yeah. characters um having being able to play the uh kind of uh hate between each other but still managing to to showcase the underlying chemistry and, and potential love that you know you're gonna see and and uh making it such a fun ride to get to you know how these characters are going to come together um just great dynamics like with uh you know Catherine and and carrie in things and um jimmy stewart in with anybody he always seemed to find great chemistry with his leading ladies 100 yeah. percent um uh so just a, such a fun genre really showcasing a great fun genre that is my favorite to this day and so as somebody who loves rom-coms getting to go back in in time and see kind of the start of of that genre and the start the groundwork of building to modern day uh is such a fun thing for me every time we talk a movie that depicts that and i see all of these little things that are now in movies that are so popular now um and, and just love sharing that with people like don't forget you love rom-coms don't forget movies like it happened one night you know don't forget movies like um uh, uh arsenic and old lace or bringing up baby yes you know adam's rib his girl friday <laughs> yes um don't forget movies like that um because they are so fun and you know Yes, love it. Yes, so, they are. They are yeah. ridiculously fun. Well, before before we talk about westerns, or as I've referred <laughs> to them, nastier American westerns, yeah. um, let's just have a have a little bit more to say about pre-code because it is one of the absolute okay. most fascinating times in Hollywood history. Um, you are right in saying the the heavy modernity that you can feel from pre-code movies is very much there i i particularly appreciate the more the more romantic side of pre-code movies rather than the say gangster side i, I like movies yeah. like public enemy scarface 30 you know 1932 mm -hmm. scarface which we've covered i don't think we've done the public enemy on the show 
Um, but even something but, like uh, Death Takes a Holiday, having like a gay coded character and having these conversations about yeah. drinking and sex and all of these things. Or I love Nick and Nora from the Thin Man movies. Like that's always my shining point very, very code, a very modern feeling couple where, you know, they are pure equals and there's no kind of like man being the dominant and woman staying at home. And no. It's kind of gender roles. They are all pure equals. He will do whatever he can to like have her be a part of the part of the mission and, you know, just the equality there and the love there and the companionship there and the respect for each other um you know as a couple uh in a early film is always kind of my strongest point of feeling that modern feeling from a pre-code movie is the thin man films for sure yeah uh, uh, and the ones we've covered that i think you know define why i want to talk yeah. about this yeah the best on the show a, a queen christina with greta garbo mm. which i think is the one of the best just you can't possibly ever do this <laughs> in yeah. the height of the code she's not just queer coded in that movie she is flat out doing whatever the hell she wants with every, <laughs> with anybody she wants i'm actually certain i mean morocco with marlena dietrich, dietrich yeah wearing that suit and that top hat performing that scene actually does on screen kiss a woman kiss a woman yeah um greta garbo in Chris, queen christina is greta garbo's phenomenally kind of mysterious anyway in in that sense in a, in a sex sense you get may west giving oh yeah all these flirty everything. lines to every man she sees like in, uh, <laughs> yeah in, in the i think two movies we covered from 32 and 33 i think in she yeah. done him wrong and i'm no angel mm -hmm. but she's complete she, she she seems unhinged in those movies yet she's just <laughs> laying around strutting around going come on then come and give come and give me what you want to give me because yeah. i'm here ready to take it and i like this attitude yes. so much so good. it's it's always it's interesting to get into the frank discussions about violence and and drugs and and real horribleness that you can in areas like mm -hmm. in 1932's Scarface but pre-code movies are never more fascinating than when they are romantic than when they deal so frankly with love relationships and, and sex yeah. mm -hmm. Paradise is another great one Blonde Crazy is another yeah. great one that we've covered and I I, I, I love I love them yeah. I think they're great. No, I wish great. I'm so thankful. I said on a recent video actually that I that is up on the channel now. Um I am so thankful that pre-code movies exist, yet I'm always so saddened that they didn't last for longer. I know we could have gotten so much more. Um, but then you just watch like British films and <laughs> they kind of delve into issues that uh no well, yeah you can recode films think yeah, of like brief encounter a film kind of you know showing an affair and, and depicting that in such an open way um almost making yeah. it feel okay you know in a positive light almost um you know a, a film of you know the postcode era mid code you know after the mid code era yes would never you know glorify um a, a an affair and have our two characters come out of it as unscathed 
as they were, you know, they would be punished, yeah. you know? So yeah, uh, definitely, you know, you can find ways to find more modernity in, in film, you know, post the, the Hayes Code. But yeah, I, I wish it was an era that lasted longer because the films that got to kind of play in that playground of open conversation uh, were really great. Yeah, and look, these these westerns that we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I've I've written it very specifically in that way because when you actually think about it, the westerns we primarily and very primarily focus on are in their way revisionist westerns. That the high noons, the three ten to humors, the uh, gunfight at the OK, the gun, yeah. the gunfighter, the gunfighter. Yeah, they're all kind of pessimistic westerns they're all they all have a realism to them a somewhat bleakness to them yes. or at least a interesting introspection to them about individuals rather than this perfect perfect world western even shane that is one of the most beautifully yeah. stunning looking movies ever has real nastiness to it at some point. And it's points. like, you know, and, and it kind of contradicts this idea, these characters are doing that, contradicting this idea of a cowboy being this hero and how everyone else views them. Uh, and then when we get this personal look into them, they're reluctant. They don't want to be this person. They just kind of yeah. were, you know, won one big gunfight and killed one, uh, you know, slung their gun faster than the guy coming at them. And now they're stuck with this reputation. And now everybody wants a piece of them. And now everyone's putting them on this pedestal. And they just want to get by. Um, you know, I think a lot of the Westerns we've discussed have characters like that who, um, you know, yeah. are put on the, this pedestal that they don't really want to be on, that they never asked for, that don't have these egos that have been thrust upon them um, and you're just kind of trying to do what's right or trying to move past a dark past they've had and just really adding this complexity to what you think a simple premise of a cowboy, you know, or a, a man from the Old West would be and adding some real kind of, you know, grit and and uh empathy and and interest to a character that you would on a surface level see as simple so i think we've talked some really great westerns that delve into some complexity and great performances and i also think it's a genre where actors that we can kind of typically see in one style of film or kind of dance around similar characters they can kind of go you know, step out of that in a Western and be a little different. Glenn we Ford. To, yes. And we get to see them in a new vein, Jimmy Stewart in a Western and Jimmy and, Stewart. Yes. And um Gregory Peck in a Western and uh yeah. Kirk Douglas in a Western. So it, it's it's kind of a nice little uh flashy genre switch up for actors that we're typically used to seeing in suits and it's a totally different kind of style and vein of film yeah. so that's what i love about the westerns we've talked there's complexity there that you wouldn't think would be you think it would just be a fun kind of shoot 'em up big genre picture but the ones we've discussed on this show um really show some really interesting performances and characters and it's really nice departure in seeing an actor in a different avenue than we're used to seeing them so that's why i picked westerns so <laughs> well, I'm wondering now, as we move into our final segment of our big celebration oh, here, 300 episodes <laughs> yes. of It's a Wonderful Podcast, if one 
of the three defining movies and notice it written down there in front of you of course if you are watching it says the three defining movies of it's a wonderful podcast janine i'm wondering if one of yours is perhaps a western it doesn't have to be but it might be it is not it is not no oh interesting (laughs) well i would hope that one of these is the same movie that we both okay have. i know i'm i'm really i'm like nervous like oh what did you pick Wait, i don't um, think we, we have to be nervous and ultimately just, these choices we don't have to over explain these choices okay because okay. i think they are they're maybe what self-explanatory they are. I mean, yes i hope they're self-explanatory but so i think one of mine might be quite quite interesting okay I really do. well my my honorable mention pick is A Stolen Life. This is a movie okay. that okay. really showcases everything we try to do here. It's a movie that that features big name classic actors, but maybe not a lot of people know about. It's a film that shows a complicated story. It's also a film that shows kind of special effects in an early era that people don't expect yeah. could be done in that era. Um So you're getting a complex, really interesting story, great performances from big name actors and a role that you maybe had never heard of them or a movie you'd never heard of. Um, And a great kind of uh, special effects of that era. So definitely, I think just a little film that is a little hidden gem, um, which speaks to the things that we try to showcase on the show. Uh, a really fun discovery for us, I think, when we watched it. Um, yeah. And, and a really Davis interesting movie. Twins. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that was my introduction to Glenn Ford. Uh, there's a really great channel, Be Kind Rewind, who I fell in love with her videos, kind of these deep dives into classic films and classic actresses and Oscar wins from early eras. And so I kind of went on this uh, deep dive of all her videos and her very first video was on this movie. And she talked about it being this small film that maybe no one had ever heard of. And so I immediately wanted to watch it and then brought it to the show here. And so it, it definitely just speaks to what we try to do, discovering new old movies. So had to yes. mention that as an honorable mention. Um, so my three films that I feel like define what we do here at It's okay. a Local Podcast are... <laughs> Separate tables. Okay, yes. <laughs> Makes sense. I like Vic- it. Victim. Very nice. And La Belle La Bette. Oh, very nice choices. <laughs> I like it. Not the same choices as mine. Okay. I love that you've gone with that. I was expecting separate tables, so I didn't put it on. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. On the last milestone episode, the 250th, we, we named separate tables as the most It's a Wonderful Podcast movie ever. Yeah. Um, which it, it may very well still be. It may I very mean... well still be. No. Um and doubly more so, I think, now because of Burt Lancaster. But and yeah. our you know recent obsession with Burt Lancaster, or at least mine. Um, but I, I, I love those three. I'll give my three choices quickly now and we'll get into a nice discussion about all these movies because I have chosen M, Fritz Lang's M, Peter Laurie, The Night of the Hunter. I I knew you were going (laughs) to... On there for the three defining movies has to be. And No Way Out. Oh, 
Okay. All right. I like that. I love that we both have a non-English speaking film in our in our lists. Um and also the reason I have separate tables uh is because uh I was out in the world at a Schmodown event and one of my fellow competitors came up to me and talk to me about this episode they listened to it and they were just like i can't believe you did an episode on separate tables who is doing a podcast talking about separate tables and told me it was a great episode and was just very impressed that our podcast was talking about this little movie that like you know the average person had no clue about that you know you wouldn't expect a podcast to talk about but the other film that he also mentioned that he was surprised we were talking about and not thinking a podcast would talk about was Night of the Hunter. So those were two movies wow. that somebody came up to me and talked to me about that they had listened to them, that they were surprised that we were covering it, that they never would have thought a podcast would have talked about it and they really enjoyed the episodes. So the fact that you picked the other film that this person <laughs> brought up to me, is, it speaks volumes. <laughs> Look, Shout I've always loved that story about se- <laughs> Yes, I've always loved that story about separate tables. I feel like we do tell it quite frequently, but here is the perfect place to tell it again. Yeah. Um, the other one that he mentioned in that little spiel, being Knight of the Hunter, that that idea doesn't even come into it because while separate tables was voted as the most it's a wonderful podcast movie ever by us on the last milestone episode and thus deserves a place in this little discussion now the question as to what is morgan's favorite ever movie has always been one i've struggled to answer like deeply 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 struggled to answer yet whenever anybody asks me that question now I find it easier because I tell them it's Night of the Hunter. Because it's the one movie I recommend everybody I see who asks me, who knows me for old movies. I say, well, what's your favorite movie? I'll say, go and watch Night of the Hunter. So it must be my favorite movie. Yes. If it's one that you feel like is, uh, you know, doing enough to get somebody as a fan of of classic films um so not not only did it end out our charles lawton our impromptu charles lawton series who is a defining you know it's a wonderful podcast Mm -hmm. actor himself along with mitchum who is a semi-defining it's a wonderful podcast actor himself it's also one of the weirdest movies you could possibly wish for one of the most unique fairy tale horrible nasty visuals really wholesome and terrifying and sweet with genuinely good child performances in the Mm -hmm. mid 50s what's going on there how does that happen the 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 terror of robert mitchum the monstrous quality of robert mitchum in that movie the fact it is in three distinct parts yeah like really distinct act that middle act being the traversing down the river almost like huckleberry finn yeah with all the creatures everywhere and the constant threat 
of the man in black on his horse and him under this guise of being this like religious prophet and doing all these awful things under that mask of another of phenomenal and, yeah. yeah another phenomenal layer to it being that it isn't even condemning of religion because your wholesome maternal hero lillian gish is also deeply focused on yeah. religion, deeply christian and it is that battle between the two of them yeah. at the end that hymn singing battle between the two of them and mitchum's doing the whistling and singing leaning on the everlasting arms nobody has ever been more terrifying as an actual human being than <laughs> harry powell in yeah. in night of the hunter it is a stunning movie there's no movie like it there's no movie that's ever been made that is as indefinable as night of the hunter yeah which is why it's so it's sad also it's why the only film charles lawton directed it is it's also why i'm saying categorically it is now my, my okay. favorite movie because i think it has to be and is has to be the defining movie of its wonderful podcast for me but there are those these other two as well that, uh, yeah is. um yeah so for me of course separate tables on the list uh it definitely because i think um i listened to the episode as i said recently and i was trying to remember like how i came about it and on the episode i did say i was looking through like the turner classic movies section on a streaming service and it came up under like oscar winners and so i'm looking at it and i just see this big cast list you know david niven deborah kerr burt lancaster um uh, rita hayworth and so you know i don't think i had really been well versed on any of their films at that point but i knew all of those names and so i'm curious what is this movie with this big name cast and it feels like it's, it's going to be a really interesting ensemble piece you know david niven uh you know i know him to be kind of this dry comedic actor and you know this seems like a drama what is and he won an oscar for this like what so i need to know what this is and so the fact that it's this film really you know hinging on an ensemble getting all these different kind of soapy stories um seeing an actor who i knew to be more comedic doing a great dramatic role playing this tragic character um having you know chemistry with someone like deborah kerr who you wouldn't expect would kind of spark off like that my first time seeing burt lancaster a name that i knew so well but had never seen any of his work rita hayworth i kind of only knew from a scene from shawshank redemption of her in gilda yeah. flipping her hair that's all i really knew of her getting to see her actually act and be this fully fully realized performer um and even just the side cast and and kind of their, their little quippy conversations and and murmuring whispers about what's going on with these other kind of leading characters all just worked really well um a really kind of great message of the film really heartbreaking characters really interesting performances and just a, a great showcase of old hollywood uh, with that movie in seeing all of these actors kind of bounce off each other. Um, so it was a kind of, you know, like I talked about Victor Mature's performance, this was a bit of a revelation for me in getting to see actors that whose names I knew so well, but had never really seen really shining in a very simple story. Cause it's, you know, it was based on a stage play, I believe. So very kind of contained story. Um, it really played into all the soapy things I loved. Uh, and so just a really great illustration of, of, um, 
old Hollywood shining its brightest with just yeah. the solid performances, uh, you know, not a, a, a complicated thing to follow and um, just a really tight story. Um, and, and so really just loved the discovery of this movie and then knowing kind of it has has the significance to it as well um that i wasn't even aware of and then to have somebody just come up to me and talk to me and and like you know being impressed that we were celebrating a movie like this just added that little extra you know flavor to 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 this choice (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) but another great area of what i always love talking about on this show is when we talk about movies that are not afraid to deal with horrible subject matters or not necessarily even horrible subject matters but tough subject matters and give them air real airtime real thought-provoking you know a real thought-provoking movie be very fair it's what we just said we like about pre-code so we certainly like it about slightly later movies as well which is why i've put no way out on because no way out has some deplorable scenes in it really horrifying to watch racist scenes in it and the it's not the movie it's the characters Characters, within characters within the movie richard widmark is he's evil in kiss of death you've just mentioned yes he's but he's kind of like delightfully evil in Kiss of Death. In No Way Out, Richard Widmark is terrifyingly cruel. He yeah. is just spitefully evil. But he, but it's he's he's against Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. and Sidney Poitier's first starring role. This is 1950. This is such a significant thing to be in a major movie at at the time in, in 1950 yeah. your director is joseph mankovic so you're bringing real quality yeah. to the picture while having it be so bold so clever so fair in its depictions of things so reasonable in its depictions of things of real horrible racism. Yeah. And having Poitier, one of the defining actors in It's a Wonderful Podcast, begin in No Way Out, it had to be in there. Because I think yeah. similarly to one of your choices, it's dealing with a tough subject matter mm-hmm. very reasonably at a time when you wouldn't necessarily think a movie would talk about that in, in such a kind of honest, bold way. Uh, yeah, a great choice. And, you know, we were really much uh, in a 60s niche because that was kind of his big time for Sidney Poitier. So to go all the way back to the beginning of his career and see, you know, the first glimmers of his brilliance and a film in that era in 1950 dealing with, you know, racism in, in such a harsh, honest way uh, it is unexpected. So it's really kind of a nice surprise. So yes, definitely love, love that pick. Um, <laughs> Go for victim. Then. Yes. So again, bouncing off of that, I have loved, you know, the misconception of early films not really, you know, having the ability to really delve into serious issues. And again, I think this is what I talked about, you know, with the loss of pre-code films, we go 
you know, overseas to, to get uh, films talking about Boulder issues that, you know, uh, films in the coded era could not talk about. And so victim seeing this film from the early 60s really delve into the issues of discrimination against homosexual people and wrapping it in this uh, uh, story that is a thriller and a mystery um, and dealing with it in this vein of, you know, a very genre picture, but with a very real subject matter, I think was really intelligent how they handled it. And um, I think really uh, relatable for people um, even today. Um, uh, and, you know, years later from the sixties, what the struggle of what gay people had to go through. So uh, it was such just a really interesting surprise to find a film who that really wasn't afraid to shy away from the discrimination against gay people and that it was the part of this kind of whole murder plot and to kind of add that entertainment factor of making it a genre picture, but really having such realness about it. This was such a surprise of a film, a film I had no idea about. Um, and so just to discover a movie really talking about something so real um, in, in a very yeah. early era was just really intriguing and interesting to me. And, um, you know, I think we try to talk a lot of films that highlight really tough issues um, because, again, like I said, I think the average person who thinks of classic films don't think that they were allowed to have this type of substance or delve into these really topical issues that are still seen today. And so I love that we can use the show to highlight those types of movies. And I think Victim was a perfect movie that spoke to that, so. Yeah, and what I, what I love about both that and No Way Out is that they are totally, completely watchable. They're not bleak, yeah. miserable movies. Yeah. They have tough scenes in them, yet they're not, sad i never want to watch that again one time views yeah they are movies you can watch and enjoy watching are entertaining really yeah. appreciate watching because they they tackle their subject matter mm -hmm. in such a in such a way that it results in ultimate positivity yeah even in you know at, at times times real harshness in the movie but you've got yeah. to go through that sometimes mm -hmm. to get yeah. to where you need to get to that's what i really like about those so let's end this whole celebration with two non-english language <laughs> movies what's going on here this is rare. yeah I mean, it's rare it's a little bit rare, little bit rare. on on uh, on it's a wonderful podcast admittedly but every so often we do like to throw something out there so let's throw a german movie out there yes a french movie out there janine because m fritz lang's m 1931 shows mm -hmm. up as one of the most influential genre movies ever, I yeah. think. One of the, uh, the people call it the first serial killer movie, a real precursor to a great deal of, of personal people based horror movies, um, and a precursor to a lot of Fritz Lang's American noirs as well, because it's yeah. very institutional evil, even though on the surface. Peter Laurie is evil in the movie, but is he really evil? Because does he actually want to be killing these children? Yes. No, as we find out at the end of the movie, mm -hmm. he wants to get help, 
the 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 system the the country the people don't allow him to get help they pigeonhole him into one thing and it's this impossible philosophical question of who is right and who is wrong is it the person yes. actually killing mm -hmm. children or is it the people condemning the person who is killing the children even though he doesn't actually want to it's a compulsion it's it's an illness within yes him. is Yes, it's really interesting delving into the concept of a perceived evil bringing out the evil of the kind of people judging them. Um, yeah. It's a really great look into that. And I found myself finding really interesting comparisons between this movie and like modern horror films like A Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Stepfather and just interesting things that I noticed in those movies that immediately took me back to this film. And so kind of the reach this, uh, you know, non-American uh, thriller film had on things, you know, far into its future was just really interesting to kind of pick up on the great themes it was discussing and kind of the chills that it gives you with this character and the moral kind of quandaries that it has you really thinking about. And it leaves you sitting with that thought of kind of that debate which i think is really intelligent and a great introduction to a villain as well so um so i mean we, a great introduction for many people to peter laurie as well who's obviously yes, wonderful yes. but i think i think m is a is an incredibly accessible older non-english language movie as well incredibly yes. accessible mm -hmm. i think it's very very easy to watch yeah because it's it's like any other killer horror movie. It plays like that yeah. very much so. It and with all these extra layers on it, though, that that Lang obviously likes to bring into his movies these ideas of down with the institutions <laughs> of state and things like this. He didn't like Germany in the early 30s, Fritz Lang, for a reason. He came to America for a reason. I wonder why. We all know why. We don't have yeah. to get into history <laughs> after the 20th yes. century. Yeah. yeah. But it's very interesting as a period in of, of time in, in, in German movies anyway. And Lang is the real father of that whole era, yes. I think. And, and M is for my money his best movie, or certainly the best movie I've seen of his, both German yeah. and American. Yeah. So, yes. Definitely. Yes. Let's end with um, magical. <laughs> yes, La Belle et la Bête, um, the French version of Beauty and the Beast. Uh, you know, I talked about how, you know, I, I tried to bring in my own little vibe on the show with my Deja Vu series where we took classic films and then took a comparative look at its modern remake. And those kind of... Uh, turned into retrospectives in some episodes where there was more than just a remake. There were several iterations over time of one story. So we did that with Zorro and Little Women. And so we had some great yeah. retrospectives. And so we ended up doing that with Beauty and the Beast, not only looking at this French version, but the Disney animated version from the 90s and then that live action remake. Uh, so doing a retrospective episode, I think I wanted to have that as 
one of the films and generally episodes that encompassed what we do on this show. We're trying to push things and really show people the connections between old and new and that we wouldn't have, you know, the new, I keep saying that <laughs> too, you know, we wouldn't have any of what we have today without this great groundwork of films. Um, so I wanted to have at least one uh, episode and film that really spoke to the history and and spoke to our show specifically of kind of the special episodes we do with these retrospectives. And this was probably okay. one of my all-time favorite retrospectives, taking a look at, you know, this early film and then just seeing how beautiful it was. And again, like A Stolen Life, a film showing kind of these early versions of special effects and special effects makeup and just, you know, great visuals and great performances and just a, a, a beautiful telling of this fairy tale. And again, a little bit with, you know, what I spoke about classic horror films, really setting a tone and a vibe and, and really giving us a magical feeling that you wouldn't expect to get from a film made so many years ago. Um, so just a general great kind of look through film history with that episode, with starting with this great film, um, very accessible for a film because I feel like, you know, uh, non-English language films always have this reputation of being very inaccessible and oh my gosh, I have to read subtitles and oh my gosh, da 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 da. But because this is such a well-known story, it's so easy to follow. It's so easy to kind of be romanced by the the magic of the of the story and the sweeping nature of it. And uh, the well, it's really primarily visual. Yes, and, and the great special effects that we're seeing because I was just so taken aback by uh, some of the things happening in this film. Uh, it was just say say what you want. <laughs> say what you want. The beast in Beauty and the Beast has never looked better than he does no, in 1946. He looked, yeah, he looks great. Um, uh, and just a beautiful telling of that story. And great costuming, great sets, and uh, everything was just really yeah. doing it, it, it pitch perfect in, in that film. And it then is, to kind of absolutely. take a look at the later versions um, was just a really interesting kind of walk through history. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> La Bella La Bette is absolutely one of the most beautiful movies mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Like flat out. Yeah. If I'm talking about aesthetically, visually beautiful movies, Shane mm -hmm. is up there. Mm -hmm. La Bella La Bette is up there yeah. too we've just to kind of recently just brought up yeah. um but it's again it has that fairy tale uniqueness like night of the hunter one of my choices mm -hmm. there but it is just a magical magical movie far more magical than anything disney could try and culture <laughs> up in later years it is because yeah. john cocteau is bringing a a, a real surrealism to La Belle Alabette that is so welcome yeah. I think in that <laughs> movie and romantically it just really envelops you as well mm -hmm. the the pure heartedness yes. of it all you feel so in love at the end of watching that movie even though is it Jean Marier, his, his, his name, the actor who actually plays the beast, so. looks like a complete buffoon at the end of that movie when he turns <laughs> into his real self when yeah. he's wearing that ridiculous <laughs> outfit. Oh my gosh, but yes. It's uh, That's beside the point. It is, a, it is a wonderful movie. And you are right in saying 
it is definitely one of our best ever episodes of this show as well. Yeah. The Beauty and the Beast retrospective. Janine, I think that is going to do it for a big 300th episode <laughs> celebration of It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's all been about threes today. Yeah, We've had a great deal of fun. Whew, that was an epic. <laughs> Yes. That was like Ben Hur the episode, and we've never covered Ben Hur. <laughs> yes, oh, I mean oh, we could have gone three hours and made it a full what's three. Another, but... <laughs> what, what's what's another stunningly long, an epic move? I don't know. Lawrence I'm, of Arabia. A Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> there you go. It's Lawrence of Arabia, and we've never covered Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> either, which says that there are many, many 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 more movies we want to cover on yes. this show 300 is an awful lot of episodes of it's a wonderful podcast i mentioned over six years is an awfully long time i worked yes. it out that six years i, I worked it out in fact that over 20 percent of my life i think about 23 percent of my life has been dedicated to it's a wonderful podcast oh my gosh <laughs> which is insane that's insane that is incredibly insane <laughs> it, it's 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 nonsense how has this happened it's happened because we love old movies yes. we love celebrating old movies we love discovering new <laughs> old movies and we thank you so much for listening <laughs> to this episode for watching this episode of it's a wonderful podcast if you are here watching of course and for constantly supporting i mean all our wonderful patrons that yes. we love so <laughs> dearly as well we can't do what we do without their phenomenal support all the time if you would like to join those that i mean there's been a thing scrolling at the bottom if you are watching but there are links in the description of this mm -hmm. episode if you want to go and join the patreon or donate in any way support us in that sense on our continued journey into celebrating old movies we aren't stopping anytime soon here's to the next six years and six years after that janine why not yes. why the hell not <laughs> But yes, I mean, it's not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed because Morgan hasn't seen is there, which also recently celebrated a milestone of 250 episodes yes. <laughs> of Morgan hasn't seen. We do have a special video episode of that up as well for that milestone that is up on the YouTube channel. Subscribe, ding your notification bell on this YouTube channel and subscribe wherever you do get your podcasts on all major podcast platforms of course we are here every wednesday and friday with morgan hasn't seen and this show it's a wonderful podcast itself we are going nowhere at all and <laughs> also find us on social media on twitter at it's a wonderful one find me on twitter at the purple dawn with a three instead of the E in the because Janine said again. Three is the magic number. 
it certainly is today on instagram tiktok and threads at the purple don janine all your three loving stuff is where you can find me at janine devine underscore on twitter janine devine on instagram tiktok and threads if you want to get any merch for any of our shows it has been scrolling below but you can find the link in the description or search it's a wonderful podcast on teespring.com and if you want to purchase any of my art and print form you can find that at my big cartel shop g9design.bigcartel.com there we go. I don't think there's anything left to say, is there? Is there? I don't, I don't know. So. There might be. <laughs> I don't think there is, though. It's 300. Here's to the next 300. Yes. And the next six years. And the next 300 after that. And the next <laughs> six years after that. Because there's so many more wonderful old movies we want to get into. Yes. And we're certainly going to do that onwards and upwards for 301 next week and that's going to be a great episode as well as i get to talk about the music of isaac hayes yay go ahead count us down your very favorite impression three two one darling. She is behind me. Bye. Bye.